Well, the peace of the Lord be with you all. Getting so good at that. Getting so good at that. Well, we're going to be opening up to Romans chapter 1, verse 16. So if you have your Bibles, you can start to turn there. Uh, while we're doing that, let me say a couple things. One is that if you don't have a Bible at home, we would love to send you home with one free today. We have a stack of them there at that welcome table. Please take one. It's our gift to you. There's no cost, nothing to, to sign up or anything like that. Secondly, I want to say welcome again to the kids. It is great to have you here with us especially for this series that we're going to be talking about. We're starting a brand new teaching series today. It's going to run until, uh, until we do our fall kickoff stuff. And we're going to be talking about faith. And what we're going to be doing is contrasting an understanding that I believe is a misconception, and that is that you have to choose between facts and faith. That, let me put it this way. There was a, there was a teen guy that, uh, that I knew back in my youth director days, back when I used to be a fun youth guy. Now, Tim's a fun youth guy. I'm the old pastor guy. Um, the, uh, back in the day, back in the day, uh, there was, there was this, uh, he was a youth pastor, and we had some really cool things. God was doing some really cool things in our, in our youth group, and, and so people were inviting their friends. Well, there was this friend who came, and he was really intrigued. You could tell he had never heard a lot of these things about God before. And he sent me this email one day, and he said, you know, I, I want to believe that what you say about God is true. I really do. But... My head and my heart have to agree. You see, I, I, I trust in science, and I've been taught that I can't believe in science and God. And my heart and my head have to agree. And this team is not the only one who's been taught these things. Many people have been taught that you have to choose between facts and faith. That there are those who base their life on facts, and there are those who base their life on on faith. And if you read magazines, if you watch interviews, you see this all the time when anything scientific comes up, that people have these two categories. They say there's those who base their life on facts and those who base their life on faith. Now, for the record, does Christianity require faith? Yes! Yes, it does! We'll say it. We'll profess it. We'll admit it. Christianity requires faith. Here's the passage I asked you to open up to. Romans 1, 16. This is not the only place. You're going to see the word faith in the Bible. If you look up the word faith, you're going to, in, in some kind of word search with the Bible, you're going to find it all over the place. Here's one example. This is from Romans chapter 1, starting with verse 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by what? Say it out loud. Faith. The righteous will live by faith. Does Christianity require faith? Yes. Absolutely, it does. And it took a lot of faith to put your trust in this gospel that, that this guy named Paul writes about. It took a lot of faith. When this was being written, it took a lot of faith to believe the message of Christianity took a lot of faith. He references in this, this, um, this, this passage here, he references that, that the, the Jewish people, it took a lot of faith to become a Christian because for the Jewish mind where Christianity took root, in the Jewish mind, the cross was a stumbling block. This idea that God would die on a cross for our sins, it was a stumbling block. So it took faith to say, I'm going to believe this message. He references the Greeks here. Paul himself, who, who wrote this, he says, the message of the cross, it is foolishness. It is foolishness to the Greek mind. So it's a stumbling block to the Jews. It's foolishness to the Greeks. In fact, it was such a stumbling block to the Jews 
that, that there's an instance we see in the Bible of someone who was stoned to death because of his faith. That's how big a stumbling block it was. And you see time after time people being imprisoned by the Romans. This says Romans here. By the Romans, they were imprisoned because of their faith. So did it take faith to be a Christian back then? Yes. Does it take faith to be a Christian now? Yes. But is it fair to say that only religious people act on faith? No. That, those, that there are people who act strictly on the facts. Is that fair to say that there are some people that only act on the facts? No, that's not fair to say. That's not fair to say. Everything, everyone believes is faith-based. Everything is. It's a matter of where you put your faith. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at some, some, some things, and, and maybe this will be new to some of you. Some of you, this might also just reinforce the fact that sometimes if you're feeling a little shamed, like Paul says, don't be ashamed. Sometimes you're feeling a little shamed. Man, but, but I'm believing this in faith. So does everyone else who believes anything about anything. So we're going to contrast a number of things. And one we're going to focus on today is it takes a lot of faith to be an atheist. It takes a lot of faith to be an atheist. Now, excuse me, for those of you who don't know what an atheist is, an atheist is a person who doesn't believe in any God. They don't think there's any God, our God or any God. So that's what an atheist is. And I would argue it takes a lot of faith to believe in an atheist, to be an atheist. And if you're an atheist, I am so glad you're here. Not because I'm going to prove anything to you or not because maybe you have not heard any of these things before, but at the very least, you can be a fact checker for me. And don't stand up and try to shout me down because that's not fair. But, but let's talk after the service. Tell me where I was wrong. Let's, let's look it out. Let's, you open your resources. I'll open mine. And if I'm wrong, if I'm even misleading, I don't want to do that. So you let me know. Because facts are our friends. Facts are our friends. And no Christian, no atheist, no anybody should ever lie or distort or manipulate or trivialize facts. Facts are our friends. It's on these facts that then we place our faith. All right, so let's look at this. It takes a lot of faith to be an atheist. There's a whole lot of directions that we could go. We could go a whole lot of directions. We don't have time to go a lot of directions. We're going to go one direction. And there's a place to write this in your notes. Here's, here's just one reason why it takes a lot of faith to be an atheist. And that is this. It takes a lot of faith to believe that God played no role in the creation or diversification of life. It takes a lot of faith to believe that God played no role in the creation or diversification of life. Now, I'm going to take a play out of Josiah Hagen's playbook. Last week, he got up here and, and said so many good things. One of them was this. He, he helped us to say, here's where I'm not going, so then we could be at ease. Here's where I'm not going today. Maybe this will set some of you at ease, we're, and it also makes some of you mad, but here's where I'm not going today. I'm not going to today going to say, all Christians don't believe in evolution, or all Christians believe in evolution. That is a... That's a, that's a debate for another time. It's a, it's a complicated one, and there are brilliant, articulate, well-educated, Bible-believing, God-fearing, spirit-filled people on both sides of that. There are Christians who believe in evolution. There's Christians who don't. We're not going to go there today. That's not my point at all. My point today is it takes a lot of faith to be an atheist. It takes a lot of faith to be a Christian. It takes a lot of faith to believe in evolution. All right? Let's, let, we'll, we'll get there, but I just want to let you know that we're not going to that spot. Okay, it takes a whole lot of faith to believe that God played no role in the creation or diversification of life. Now, we're gonna, let me give you a couple reasons why I make that, that statement. Here's one of them. There's a place to write this in your notes as well. Let's start right here. 
The scientific method cannot be used to explain how life began. Let me say that again because this is a misconception that is floating out there. The scientific method cannot be used to explain how life began. If someone ever tells you science proves how life began, they can't make that statement. Well, they just made it, I guess. They can't make it, but it's not, it, it's not a solid statement. There's this thing called the scientific method. The science, science, pure science, requires a scientific method. What are at least two reasons why the scientific method can't be used to, to, to explain our origins? Anybody know? What's that? Was replicate. replicate. Replication. You have to be able to repeat it. Can you repeat the origins of our universe? No, no. Okay, what's the other one? Another one. Repeat it. You have to observe it. You have to see it. You have to be able to do it. You have to be able to manipulate it. So if you have something that, that can't be observed, can't be tested, can't be repeated, you can't use the scientific method. So what you have to do instead of using the scientific method, you have to do, you have to build a case like you would in court. You say, okay, here are all the facts, and now we're going to line them all up, and then we're going to make a decision based on the evidence. But as soon as you start to do that, you're no longer objective, you are subjective. And anything that is subjective takes faith. Okay, so right away, from the beginning, we're already seeing faith plays in. It's not as simple as facts versus faith. Faith plays in here. Okay, here's another, another reason why it takes a lot of faith to be uh, an atheist, and for some this is, might be hard for you to write this down. It'll be painful, but it, it's true. Spontaneous generation has never been observed or replicated. Some of the kids are going, huh? We're going to use a lot of big words today. We, we kind of have to for the sake of time, but I'll explain this one a little bit. Spontaneous generation means something that's not living comes alive. That's spontaneous generation. And has that ever been witnessed by anyone ever? No. No matter how hard people have tried to do it, no matter what you've read about experiments, there has never been a case where non-living matter was combined to create living by, by people. Spontaneous generation. It's just happening on its own. These things coming together to, to create life. It's never been observed. It's never been replicated. Now, right away, some objections might be coming in your head. You say, well, what about all the fossils? Don't they prove, don't all the fossils prove that, that God isn't needed? Because we can just look at the evidence. We got these facts. Doesn't that just prove God's not needed because we see how, how life began? That takes a lot of faith. Here's one of the reasons that takes a lot of faith. Simple life is an oxymoron. Simple life is an oxymoron. The theory of evolution, as I understand it, depends on this. It depends on there being simple life. Simple life that then became more complex and diversified over time. You need simple life for this theory to work. Is there such thing as simple life? No. And if you don't have simple life, you have a big problem. Um, here's what Darwin himself said. Uh, along these lines. This is huge. Now, Darwin is the, the, the founder of this, the theory of evolution. Here's what he says. If it could be demonstrated 
that any complex organ existed which could not possibly have been formed by numerous successive slight modifications, my theory would absolutely break down. What he's saying there is if you found an animal or a living thing and there's a piece of it, there's a piece of that living thing that could not be explained by slight changes over time, then my whole theory breaks down. Well, here's the deal. Back when Darwin did this in the late 1800s, when he was observing these things, he didn't have microscopes like we have now. He couldn't see things we can have now. And one of the things he couldn't see is the basic building block of life. The cell is far more complex than we ever imagined. Highly, highly complex. Some microbiologists use the term irreducibly complex. It's highly, highly, highly complex. Here's a, here's a quote by a guy named Michael Denton. And one of the reasons I'm quoting him is because he's not a pastor and he's not a Christian. So this is not someone that's, that's looking at the world through those types of eyes. He's a microbiologist who is a professing atheist. Here's what a microbiologist who's a professing atheist says. The complexity of the simplest known type of cell is so great that it is, say it out loud, impossible to accept that such an object could have been thrown together suddenly by some kind of freakish, vastly, say it out loud, improbable event. Such an occurrence would be indistinguishable from a what? Miracle. Is this a Christian using the word miracle? Is this a pastor using the word miracle? Is this a televangelist using the word miracle? <laughs> no, it's not. This is a professing atheist who studies microbiology using the word miracle. Is miracle a fact word or a faith word? It's a faith word. All right, let's, let's keep going. Um, here's another challenge. If, if you're a person that says, I'm going to take God out of the equation, I'm only going to look at the facts. Here's another challenge you got. Demonstrated brilliantly by these amazing drawings here up on, up on the easel. Um, what this is supposed to represent here is what evolution, the fossil record, is supposed to look like. And if you were to go to textbooks, if you were to Google online, if, if you were to, to, to do those things, this is what they say it does look like. Here's, what, here's what, what, what evolution, the fossil reckoning should look like. This point right here is when the first single-celled microorganism appears, the first tiny primitive fossil that we have. What's supposed to happen then is gradually this becomes more complex. You see slight adaptions over time until it becomes a different type of organism. Some of those then stay pretty much the same, but then others, other organisms become slightly changed over time until they become a whole different deal, which some split off later, some split off right away. But this is what you should see. So that starting with this single-cell microorganism over the course of millions of years, lots of small changes, you get ultimately from single-celled microorganism um, to this spot right down here, humans, and here we have the ultimate human being ever. I think we have a picture of, of uh, David Hasselhoff. <laughs> this is where evolution takes us, all right? So... This is what you should see. You should see small changes over time spread out over the course of millions of years. That's what you should see. 
if, if you're looking at just the facts, if you say, I want the facts to base, base to back up the belief that there's no God, this is how it happened. This is, this is what you'd want to see. Is this what we have for the facts? No. We got this. Here's how, here's how one, one person explained it in one of the sources I was, I was reading. He said, imagine you've got a football field. And this is one end zone, and this is the other end zone. This end zone is when the first fossil, the oldest fossil we have, appears. That's this end zone. This end zone over here is all life as we know it today. So this is the time between that first fossil and all, all of the, well, today. He says, you're running along your football field. You, you get to the 20, you get to the 30, you get to the 40, you get to half, half, halfway. There's still no major change in the fossil record. You still have just these small, little, simple organisms. Simple all right. Well, then you get you cross into the other, the opposing forty and the, the 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 thirty and the twenty. Still, really no change here. Then you hit the sixteen yard line, the other sixteen yard line, and now you've got some jellyfish like creatures and some worm like creatures. So all of this has passed. All of this time has passed, and now you're you're at your first real major differentiation. And then what happens in the course of a single step? All of this gets crunched over here. And in that single step, all of these major classes appear suddenly fully formed, not slow transitions, appear suddenly fully formed, and then they branch out into all of that in this much space. And then the thunder rolls. Okay, now... Are there fossils out there yet to be found that, that show the slight modifications that, that unpack these mysteries? Maybe. Maybe. But now you're using the word maybe. Is maybe a fact word or is maybe a faith word? It's a faith word. Thank you. It's a faith word. And, and once again, let me be as clear as I can. There are brilliant, articulate well-educated people who, who really embrace the theory of evolution. My point is that it's not a viable theory. My point is when you take God completely out of the equation, it takes a lot of faith because you're using words like miracle. You're using words like maybe. You're, you're speaking of things that have never been observed, that have never been replicated, that have never been repeated. And when I look at the facts... You know, with what we have right now to work with, I mean, I think of Genesis 1, and I think that sounds a lot like Genesis 1. Here's a passage from Genesis 1 where God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God said it's, it's very good. And in Genesis 1, it says the same things about the plants and the sea creatures. So you could look at the facts, and do you see how some people have faith to say, well, it looks, looks like that. So again, we're, we're in the realm of faith. All right, let me give you one more, um, one more uh, thought here, and then let's, let's start to apply this. Here's another challenge you've got. If you want to take God completely out of the equation, and there's a place to write this down, the math doesn't add up. 
The math doesn't add up. Now, when you're talking math, you're talking facts, right? You don't get more factual than math. Two plus two equals any disagreement on that. All right. Math is facts. Math are facts. All right. Here's the problem. When mathematicians study the age of the earth, and, and, and if they say, okay, let's, let's, let's go with 4.5 billion years. Let's say that the world is 4.5 billion years. When you try to do the math of the statistical probability that life came together and differentiated, you don't have enough time for that. In 4.5 billion years, you don't have enough time. And that's math. So then, what does a person who takes God out of the equation, how do they wrestle with this? Now, we're going to put this on the screen. I am not making this up. I, 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 this is, when, when I was reading and I was trying to say, look for how do people who, who take God out of the equation, how do they account for the fact that the math doesn't add up? This, these are the top three that I saw, okay? I'm not just pulling the most absurd ones out. These are the top three that I saw. This, these are PhDs who are, who are saying these things, okay? I did not just pick the most obscure, crazy website person. The, the, there are PhDs who say this is how you account for the statistical problems, mathematical problems. Number one, multiple universes. They say if you have more universes, you have more time, you have more chances. Okay, what, what's your evidence, your facts for multiple universes? Well, we don't have any. Okay. Number two, space aliens. Not enough time for it to happen on Earth, so space aliens dropped off the, the first life. Okay. Hard, hard to keep a straight face for me on that one, but okay, if that works for you. Um, and then here's the other one. It just happened. We know it happened because it, we're here, so it must have happened. Okay. Okay. Which of these three theories are grounded in, in facts? <laughs> two. We got we to gotta vote for number two, a Roswell guy in the back. You know, which of these require faith? All of them. All of them. Again, my point in, in, in saying all of this, well, I actually have a couple, but one of my points in saying all this is anytime someone wants you to feel ashamed for your faith, to say you're, a, you're crazy, you're crazy, the facts are clearly on the side of there is no God. When, when someone says that, you know, it won't, it'll be pointless to argue. But know that both these positions are faith-based positions. In fact, it, arguably it requires more faith to be an atheist. When PH, PhDs start talking about multiple universes and space aliens, the idea that there could be a creator begins to sound a little more reasonable. If that's what you got, multiple universes, space aliens, or it just happened. If that's what you got, is it reasonable to assume maybe there's a being that's beyond our, our, our full comprehension that created? And, and let me try to make this very, very concrete. Here's an example. Um, let's say you're out walking in the woods. It's just you alone. You're walking in the woods, and you see this object, this object laying on the ground in front of you. Does anyone know what this object is? How many of you have had your fingers snapped in these evil torture devices? Um, anyway, so there's this mousetrap. All right, um, you see this mousetrap. 
How many of you, if you saw that mousetrap, you're out in the woods, you see the mousetrap, how many of you would assume somebody made that? Put your hands up if you would assume someone made that. I just want to see if everyone assumes this. So leave your hand up. Okay. Is there anyone who would not assume? Is there anyone in this room that would say, it just happened? Or space aliens? You know? Okay. So, so you assume that it happened. Well, do you realize, or you assume that there was a creator? Let's say that's not an assumption you can make. Let's say you have to take that out of the equation. You cannot go there. You cannot go to the creator part. Okay? Let's just say that, that that's where you're at. I, I have to rule that out. Now you have to explain this without a creator. That's hard to do. Hard to do. Because first you have to explain all the pieces. You have to explain how this little spring just created itself or how it came to be. And then you have to explain how this finger snapper came to be. And, and then you have to explain how this little thing that you're supposed to set so that the finger snapper doesn't snap your fingers, um, how that came to be. And then you have to figure out how this little um, thing that looks like fake cheese, how this came to be. And, and then you have to figure out how this piece of wood came to be and how it has letters, how it has information on it. So you have to figure out how all these pieces independently came to be without any creator designing it. And then it really gets tricky because not only do these pieces all have to exist, they all have to be close to one another and they have to assemble themselves. In my mind, I don't know how that happens. Earthquake. Didn't work. Now let me try again. Tornado! Didn't work. And in my mind, if we tried this for a billion years, it's not going to work. Now, there are those that say it had to work because we're here. Okay? You believe that in faith. There are those of us who say, I believe someone created this. And you might be saying, oh, come on now, that, that analogy, that's not fair because you're using a machine. You're right, it's not fair. A better analogy than a mousetrap, because a mousetrap is a very simple machine, imagine the space shuttle. That would be a better analogy because a mousetrap is far too simple. Many people could make a, a mousetrap. Very few people could, could make the space shuttle. So now you have to figure out how did every one of the parts of the space shuttle independently self-organized, how do they all get in exactly the right place in exactly the right time without any help? And you might be saying, come on. That's, that analogy, that's, 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 not, that's not right. You're right. It would have to be harder than that because now this rocket ship has to have baby rocket ships. And those baby rocket ships have to differentiate into every machine that has ever existed. And you might be saying, that's not fair. And, and the answer is right. Because you're right, it, it's harder than that. Because we have brilliant people who can make rocket ships. And the most brilliant people who have ever lived have not been able to take non-life and create life, even the simplest cell. Does it take faith to be a Christian, to believe in a creator that, that's, 
spoke and it, it was? Yeah, that takes faith. Does it take faith also, though, to say without a God, it all just happened? I would say, yes, it does take faith. It does take faith. Um, here's, here's a guy, his name's Jonathan Wells. He was in one of the sources that I looked at. And Jonathan Wells has two PhDs, and they're not from Christian colleges. They're from, uh, from Berkeley and from Yale. Here's what Jonathan Wells says about this. He says the gap between non-living chemicals and even the most primitive living organism is absolutely tremendous. The problem is you can't make a living cell. There's not even any point in trying. It would be like a physicist doing an experiment to see if he can get a rock to fall up all the way to the moon. No biologist in his right mind would think you could take a test tube with all those molecules and turn them into a living cell. That's what he says. And, and you know what? Let's say he's wrong. Let's say he's wrong. Let's say uh, uh, 10 years from now, we have gotten to the point, we have progressed to the point where people are so brilliant that they are able to pull it off. That they're able to take everything you need for life to happen and they're able to assemble it in such a way where life happens. What have you just proved? You've just proved that really smart people can create really cool things. That's what you proved. Which you could say supports the idea of a creator. At least that would be one interpretation of it. And when you, when you think about this, when you think about how much faith is required for an atheist position, and just on this one issue, when you, when you figure how much faith that takes, why would people be so resistant to at least exploring the notion of a creator? And, and people are. Uh, here's, a, here's a quote from a guy, uh, a Harvard professor. Take a look at this. And he just comes clean, which I appreciate. I appreciate this. Our willingness to accept scientific claims that are against common sense is the key to understanding the real struggle between science and the supernatural. I appreciate that. I appreciate that he's being honest, but here's what I don't appreciate. Look what he says next. He says, we take the side of science. Pause. Does science take sides? Science takes sides. I, I, don't, I don't think it does. We take the side of science. And we take the side of science in, in spite of the patent absurdity, in spite of the tolerance of the scientific community for the unsubstantiated just-so theories. Because we have, look at this, we have a prior commitment to materialism. And not talking about buying lots of stuff at the mall. This is the type of materialism where you say there's no God. Materialism is absolute... For we cannot allow a divine foot in the door. So at least he's being honest. He's, there are some atheists who come to that conclusion after study. There are others who say, I, I'm not even going to go there. I can't go there. And I won't even be open to that possibility. And there's some irony here for a Harvard professor to say we won't let God in the door. And some of you may know why this is ironic. Have you ever looked at the Harvard logo? Here's the Harvard logo. This is an older version before they updated it and left a couple words out. Um, it's in Latin. In the center, there's a word that means truth. And on the side of that word that means truth are two other words. One means Christ and one means the church. If you were to translate this very loosely into English, it would say something um, to the effect of the, uh, that 
this, that they're about truth, that Harvard is about truth for Christ and the church. In fact, here's something that you could find if you were to go way back in the Harvard archives. This is from 1646. It comes from their, quote, rules and precepts. Here's what it says, Harvard's own rules and precepts, 1646. Let every student be plainly instructed and earnestly pressed to consider well that the main end of this life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life. And therefore, to lay Christ at the bottom as the only foundation of all sound knowledge and learning. And seeing the Lord only giveth wisdom, let everyone seriously set himself or herself by prayer in secret to seek it of him. Wow. As I said earlier, facts are our friends. And it's my hope that none of us in this room will ever close the door to truth. Whether you're a Christian and you see some facts that don't fit the Christian worldview and you don't know what to do with that, I hope you would never close the door. You would never close the door. Just as I hope an atheist would never close the door to the possibility that those who have a different faith than you might have reasons for that. There's a self-evident truth that the Bible describes. If we were to continue to read in Romans, here's what we'd come across. If we just, we read earlier from Romans chapter 1, verse 16 to 17. Look what happens if you continue. What can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been, what? Clearly perceived. There's a place to write that in your notes. Clearly perceived. Clearly perceived. The Christian faith is grounded in things that are readily perceived. Let me continue on reading, though. Ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they're without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. They just closed the door, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Here's what I asked you to write down earlier. Please do this. The, the Christian faith is grounded in things that are clearly perceived. All of us have seen machines that people have made. All of us have seen creations from a creator. And if you look at the world, in fact, one of the things that really struck me for the first time this week, I was thinking about this. I was thinking about how if you lived in the time before microscopes, these things were clearly perceived. There's a reason why every culture worships because there are certain things, you look at this amazing creation and you realize there are things going on here that are beyond me. Things that I'm not in control of. But even us who live in the time with microscopes, they're clearly perceived. And I would argue even more clearly perceived. I was pre-med for a while and I've looked at the mic under microscopes and I've, I, I've had physics and I've had biology and I've had chemistry and I've looked at these things. They're remarkable. And you could argue very strongly you could argue that now with the technology we have even more the idea that there's a creator can be clearly seen christian faith is grounded in things that are clearly perceived and how tragic it is for those who would would shut the door to that there's a brilliant man his name is stephen hawking brilliant man who didn't arrive at the christian position he arrived at the atheist position and he was asked straight up, do you believe in God? And here's the answer he gave. And how tragic this is. 
someone this smart could be so far from the truth. When asked, do you believe in God? He said, no. And, and then look at look what he says. He says, we're such insignificant creatures on a minor planet of a very average star in the outer suburbs of a hundred thousand million galaxies. So it is difficult to believe in a God who would even care about us or even notice our existence. That is such a contrast from the Christian position. Such a contrast. He looks out at the world and goes, it just happened. And if there was a God, we're so insignificant. That is not what the Bible tells us at all. And, and if we had more time, we could go into great depth, but really quickly, I just point you to this verse. Genesis 1, opening pages of the Bible. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And let me pause right there. We are created in the very image of God. We're not an accident. We didn't just happen. If, if we're to believe and put our faith in the, in the, in the Bible, in the Christian holy book, then, then we're to believe that God had purpose and plans and we are of great value. And as, the, as, as you continue to read, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Fearfully and wonderfully made. And every one of us has purposes. It says, in fact... We are God's workmanship. We're created in Christ to do good works, which he prepared for us to do. So we have purpose. We have meaning. We have great value. We have great value. And this is one of the reasons why we can say it is wrong to be sexist. It is wrong to be racist. It is wrong to gossip. It is wrong to hurt innocent people. We can say that things are wrong because there is a right. Let me continue reading. And then look at this. And after creating us, God blessed us and then God said. How significant is that? That we have a God who didn't just create and then step back and say, good luck, folks. We have a God who blessed and then who said, who began to give us instructions to say, here's how you can treat one another. Here's how you treat my creation. And here is how you relate to me. How different is that than a position that says, we're just nothing. We're insignificant. If there was a God, why would he care? We have a God that so loved his creation, he sent what was most precious to him, his one only son. And because we couldn't live up to all the things that God said, that God instructed, Christ died in our place. That's how much God loves us. That's how much God mat we matter to God. What an amazing, amazing, amazing truth we put our faith in. And... I won't go into my story again other than just to say I, I can really relate to that teen guy because as a sophomore, summer after my sophomore year, I was in the same place as him, ready to walk away from God because I couldn't get my head and my heart to agree. But one night in El Paso, Texas, I opened myself up to that reality that there could be a God. And that turned to be a, proved to be a turning point in my life. So as we close our service, let me ask the worship band to come on up. We're going to close with a song. And the song, this song is primarily for those of you who are already believers. It's a chance for you to proclaim these truths. To say, I'm not ashamed. Here I am in a community center. And I'm going to be singing this profoundly strong song. That's singing of God and his reality and his praises. And no love is higher and no love is stronger. So it's primarily for that. But before we sing that song, I want to, I want to pray. And perhaps some of you who never prayed like this would, would join me in praying. So let's, let's pray. Father, um, right now we, we pray for those who have never taken that step of faith, 
who have never put their trust in you, who have never said, from this point forward, God, I'm going to, I'm going to walk in belief. I'm going to, I'm going to accept the fact that, that you died on the cross for my sins. I'm going to start trusting you that you are God and I'm not. I'm going to, to ask for your help in trying to follow um, your ways, and I'm going to say I'm sorry for not doing them. We have a precedent in the Bible where it says, a person was asked, do you believe? He said, I believe, help my unbelief. Lord, there's probably some folks there who are in that same spot. I want to believe, help my unbelief. God, Holy Spirit, begin, as they open that door, flood in. Holy Spirit, open that door for them that that you may come in and begin to, to help their head and their heart become one and to embrace these amazing truths that you are God. You did love this world so much that you gave your only son for it. That we have purpose and we have meaning and we have dignity. And that you have great plans for us. As those doors open, Father, come running in with that message, that gospel message. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please join me in singing. You know, for some of you, it might be really hard to sing those words. Because you're like, wait, you're not supposed to say that. This is America. Don't say no love is higher, no love is wider, no love is deeper. My hope for us is that we can get to a place where that is true, that is experientially true for you, because you realize that the God that created all of this loved you so much that he died on a cross for your sins. There is no love greater than that. And it's my hope that that becomes so real to us that we're not singing that out of arrogance of my idea is better than yours. But no, this is my reality that I live in. That's why Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of that great news that the God of all creation died on the cross for my sins. Wow. Wow. Thank you for the amen. That is an amenable statement. Um, Real quick, this is a transition to next week. By all the accounts that that I read, Charles Darwin, um, towards the end of his life, he became what's called an agnostic. An agnostic is a person who said there might be a God, there might not be a God, I don't know for sure. And that's where he stayed. Next week... I want to talk about why it takes a lot of faith to stay there. All right, that's where we're going next week. Until then, go in peace, seek and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have a great week. See ya.